Today is the um, final part of our series, when, when the going gets tough, a journey through the book of 1 Peter. When the going gets tough, how do we respond? In our thinking and in our actions, in a world and a surrounding culture that is increasingly hostile and negative towards the Christian faith. What do we learn from this 2,000-year-old letter from Jesus' disciple Peter to a scattered church who were experiencing outright and increasing hostility. And in Peter's letter, he encourages us, he, and the early church, and by extension us, to have the right perspective and the right practice. And so in the first three talks, we explored living with right perspective, seeing present and future suffering in the light of right perspective, God's perspective. The right perspective that we have a current and eternal hope through the resurrection of Jesus. The right perspective of redemptive purpose in the midst of suffering. The profound truth and mystery of how suffering leads to maturity. The invitation to suffer like Jesus, to share in his sufferings. And how somehow we can glorify God in our suffering. And finally, the right perspective of true identity, remembering who we are, a chosen people, a royal priesthood, and a holy nation. But as I said, in his letter, Peter doesn't just urge us to have right perspective, but also right practice. So last Sunday, John Wright spoke of the invitation to live holy lives, to live distinctively for God's sake, for our sake, and for the sake of the world. And today we're going to finish by exploring the right practice of living humbly. When the going gets tough, be humble. Peter's letter to this scattered church, a scattered group of churches, were all, were, they were already experiencing persecution. And um, the letter is peppered with a radical call to live humbly in the midst of that suffering. And an example of that is at chapter 3. Starting at verse 8. Finally, all of you be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing, because to this you were called that you may inherit a blessing. Repay evil with blessing. Quite a challenge. But before we dive into this call to humility, I want to invite us to consider again for a moment the purpose of this book of 1 Peter and its overall encouragement to us all. That if we want to live the Christian life for the long haul, and particularly in times of opposition to our faith, we will need to keep our shape. Because in keeping our shape through right perspective and right practice, we can stand firm. We can live the life to which we've been called. I appreciate that not everyone in the room this morning will be lovers of sport, but I, I just want to invite you to imagine for a moment a rugby team or a football team who overcome what on paper is a significantly stronger opposition. Now, occasionally the victory... Um, like that is a, through a moment of individual brilliance. But more often, the words that you hear in an, in an analysis of such a victory is that fundamentally the winning team kept 
their shape. One of the greatest examples of this came on the 19th of September 2015 in the Rugby World Cup, when Japan pulled off the greatest shock in Rugby World Cup history by beating South Africa. And on the face of it, it was all about a dramatic and inspirational try scored in the very last minute of the game. But the reality is, is that that try was the result of over three years of work, where Japan's coaching staff had instilled in a team of players, many smaller in physical stature than their opponents, both the perspective and the practice that would lead to victory. Perspective that instilled a belief that they could do what, by, what others thought they could not. And practice, skills developed day after day after day, so that in mo the moment of the greatest pressure in the biggest game of their lives, when the going got tough, rather than being overawed, they kept their shape. They maintained their perspective and they put into practice all they had learned. And it led to their greatest victory. And so as followers of Jesus in a world increasingly ignorant or dismissive of or hostile towards God, 1 Peter in many ways sums up how we are called to keep our shape, both in our perspective and our practice. And part of that call is the call to humility. And as we'll reflect on in the coming minutes, Peter's call to humility is a radical one referring to the call to submission in specific situations, in addition to what I've mentioned a couple of minutes ago, repaying evil with blessing. And I suspect for many of us, this will be deeply challenging on different levels and for different reasons. And one key reason that it feels so challenging is, is because it is so challenging. I'm not sure how many of us um, here were previously familiar with 1 Peter before we started this series, or some of you, and some of you may have read through it for the first time during the series. But if you, do re if you do take time to read through the whole letter, you will read some dramatic passages when it comes to submission and humility. Passages which for some of us may seem outrageous or even unthinkable. Submission to every human authority, including unjust structures. Submission of slaves to masters. Submission of wives to their husbands, submission of younger to older, and responding, as I've said, to insults and evil with blessing. And in this moment, even as I've referred to Peter's call to submission and read that out, or about the call to submit and the call to respond to evil with blessing, I won't be the only person in the room who has an internal feeling of discomfort or even resistance. That sense of, is Peter serious in what he's saying here? Surely it can't mean what it sounds like. As I was preparing for this talk, I was chatting a couple of weeks ago with Dave Miller, and uh, I recalled an incident, incident that happened in 2020 when I was on holiday with my family in Northumberland. And for those of you who are not aware, my, my wife Donna is black, and over the years particularly in more rural areas, we got, we've grown used to sometimes odd or lingering looks as we've walked down the street as a family. But on this occasion, it wasn't just looks that came. And when Donna and two of our children went into the local supermarket, another customer took the opportunity to racially abuse our children. And it won't surprise you to learn that my internal response when they returned from the supermarket and told me what had happened 
was not an immediate desire to respond to insults with blessing. It was quite the opposite. See, Peter's call to radical humility in 1 Peter is deeply challenging. And over the next few minutes, I'm going to explore some of the context of the letter, include some of what the letter doesn't mean. But once I've done that, with all the context in the world, the reality is that Peter's invitation in this letter remains a radical one. One that is reflected throughout Scripture, and particularly the New Testament, to live a life of humility that emulates Christ himself. And it's, in some ways, it's summed up in the letter, Paul's letter to the Philippian church, starting at at, uh, chapter 2, verse 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in human appearance as a man, He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. As I've said, for each of us, we will experience some degree of resistance to this radical call to humility, like hurdles in our hearts or our minds. And so for the next few minutes, I just want to explore three possible hurdles. One, the hurdle of categories. Two, the hurdle of the con- of context of circumstance, and three, the hurdle of unseen defences. So firstly, the hurdle of categories. As I've mentioned, in, ch- in chapters two and three, Peter urges his readers to submit in situations that for many of us would seem unthinkable. And today in this talk alone, I can't do justice to all the important and sensitive questions that arise, but I hope that I can give some helpful reflection And I'd also encourage you to watch the video that came out um, with the church email this week, which is a roundtable conversation and expands on some of of these issues. So in chapter 2, verses 13 to 15, Peter urges his readers to submit to every human authority. And let's be clear, in that time and culture, the human authority he was referring to was the occupying Roman authority, a brutal dictatorship that they had had oppressed these people for for generations. And then in chapter 2, verses 18 to 23, he urges those followers of Jesus who were slaves to submit to their masters, even those who were harsh. And so it raises the very real question, is Peter saying here that God is now approving of or indifferent to unjust and oppressive regimes or to the institution of slavery? And these questions are important, not just in and of themselves, but because of the abhorrent manner, centuries later, in which these verses were used to justify one of the greatest evils in the history of humankind, chattel slavery and the transatlantic slave trade. And so for us to understand God's perspective on oppressive regimes and his perspective on slavery, the ownership of one human being by another, we don't look to a single verse 
we need to look to what's called the whole council of Scripture, the whole Bible, like the book of Exodus, which speaks of the journey of God's people out of slavery in Egypt, like the prophets like Jeremiah and Amos and Isaiah and Micah, which time and time again speak of God's heart for justice and for the oppressed and the call for God's people to speak on their behalf. Like the Psalms, which speak of the beauty of every human being, knit together in their mother's womb. And the Gospels, which time and time again demonstrate Jesus as the one who preserved the humanity and the dignity of all that he encountered, especially those that society had demeaned or devalued. So what's then going on in chapters 2 and 3? when Peter is calling people to submit in these oppressive situations? Well, first of all, he's speaking to people in the reality of their circumstance at that time. To people who, in the immediacy of their circumstances, were living under an oppressive regime, which in the immediate had no prospect of change. And to those who were slaves, they were living in long-standing, established household structures Structures that, in truth, leaders of the church in that day probably didn't see being dismantled. But in many ways, the circumstances that have been described are not dissimilar to the circumstances of many of our brothers and sisters today around the world. Brothers and sisters who live live in countries, some some of you here today may have come from such countries, where they were unable to lift themselves out of the unjust circumstances that they find themselves. Secondly, there is something which is understandably lost in us when we read 1 Peter, and it's the manner in which Peter addresses those to whom he speaks. So he speaks to slaves directly. He later speaks to wives directly. And he was radically cutting across the social norms of the day when ordinarily, and it might seem unthinkable to us now, such instructions would only have been given through the male head of the household indirectly. And this may seem small to us, but in that time it wouldn't have been lost on the readers of Peter's letter. And thirdly, one of the understandable questions that you might ask from reading 1 Peter still might be, Is 1 Peter essentially saying that Christians shouldn't be involved in speaking on behalf of the oppressed or against unjust structures? And as I alluded to a minute ago, the full counsel of Scripture is pretty clear that God's people are called to serve and to speak for those who are oppressed. But before moving on, I think it would be helpful to have maybe a couple of thoughts on wives and husbands. For some of us, the hurdle can be one of the word submission at all. For others, it may be the apparent emphasis on wives' submission to their husbands. And just to be clear, in this letter, it seems that the particu- there was a particular situation that Peter was speaking into. He wasn't speaking generally. He was speaking to, to women who were married and they were recent converts to following Jesus and they were living and they were navigating a, a married relationship where their husband was not following Jesus. That's what he was speaking into. But it needs to be recognised that passages that speak of submission can be particularly challenging or triggering for those of us who've experienced or witnessed controlling or abusive behaviour in in relationships. And so it's important here to emphasise two things. As you will see from the video that came out this week, 
there are a range of interpretations across the body of Christ and probably in this room today about what does biblical submission in marriage look like. Some would take what's called the egalitarian approach where there is no distinction within marriage um, around roles. But others would take what's described as the complementarian view where there would be seen as equal but distinct roles within marriage, including when it comes to authority. But whichever approach you take, the undergirding of all submission in marriage is the command for all Christian relationship, which is found at Ephesians 5, verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. A call to mutual submission, each preferring the interests of the other. And however you interpret the New Testament passages about marriage, they in no way and under no circumstance allow for or prescribe that a wife or indeed a husband should put up or remain in an abusive situation. Indeed, there is no justification for such passages to be used in any fashion to justify or warrant abusive or controlling behaviour. And so for some here today, some of these passages may present a hurdle in terms of principle or thought. And you may find it helpful after the service or in the coming days to have a chat with someone about that. But I'm particularly conscious that for some here today, the hurdle will be one of experience. Maybe the verses are triggering because of experience you've had. It could have been when it comes to the uh, verses around Um, slavery around your own um, experiences of discrimination. It could be around marriage because of your experiences of being in an abusive relationship or even where these verses were even used in order to justify abuse. And if that is the case, whether today or in the coming days, I would encourage you to reach out and to speak to someone that you would trust to be able to talk and pray um, about that. So for some of us, we consider... Peter's call to humility, that as we do that, there may be this hurdle of categories. But for many of us, it will be the hurdle of context of circumstance. So for many of us in our cultural context, as I mentioned, we may look at 1 Peter and the first thing that strikes us, first and foremost, may be the unjust structure or the circumstances at play. But Peter here was seeking to encourage churches in this specific situation. The situation where the churches to whom he was speaking, one, were in the minority. Two, they were seeking to work out how to live their faith that by its very nature was countercultural. And three, they were living through this significant and increasing opposition to their faith. And they were seeking to do, do all this in this culture where there were set societal norms and power structures And it's into this situation that Peter was speaking. It was in this situation where they were facing the opposition and oppression. So their primary focus wasn't thinking about the structures around them. Their primary focus was, how do I represent Christ well in the midst of this suffering? And this is not a situation, as I've said, that is unique to the ancient world. As I alluded to earlier, Millions of brothers and sisters around the world today live in circumstances where they face similar or worse opposition or power structures. And those power structures are not going to change anytime soon for them. If you haven't managed to do see it, I'd encourage you to watch the second video that came out 
this week um, with the church email. And it's a conversation between Dave Miller and his brother Sam, who works for Open Doors. They're a charity who, which is dedicated to supporting the persecuted church. And in the video, Sam beautifully describes the significance of this letter of 1 Peter right now to the persecuted church. We're brothers and sisters in situations just as or more extreme than described in 1 Peter, wholeheartedly embrace the encouragement of Peter to keep their shape in the midst of the suffering. So for example, they embrace these words. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires, which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Or these words at chapter 4, starting at verse 12. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Incredible words. Now, it would be easy to listen to what I've just said and think, so what John's saying is that the book of 1 Peter is primarily applies today to the persecuted church. But that would not be true. The words of 1 Peter speak to every follower of Jesus, to every church community, of the perspective and of the practice that we are to adopt, of the shape that we should hold to, including this call to radical humility. Maybe in circumstances where we face opposition or challenge in our families or our workplaces or our relationships. Maybe in circumstances where our perspective of life and its outworking may be the minority view. Or simply in our relationships one with another. So as we reflect on Peter's call to radical humility, we can find ourselves coming up against these hurdles. The hurdle of categories, the hurdle of context, of circumstances. But just as significantly, there is the hurdle of unseen defences. As each of us reads the Bible, seeking to understand what it means for us, there's not one of us in this room who does so from a neutral position. We each interpret the scriptures with a mix of experiences and assumptions and worldviews that we bring to the table. A few weeks ago, I ordered the pair of trainers that I'm wearing today. Don't look down. This morning, everyone just looked down and looked at the trainers. Um, but so when they arrived, I took out a spray and I coated the, the trainers in this, in this transparent spray to soak them, to protect them from the elements. And each day when I leave the house wearing my trainers, that protective spray is doing its job. But the reality is that it can't be seen and I tend not to think about it except in this moment. But it is there. And the reality is, is that just like my new pair of trainers, you and I have protective layers that we have built up over years and years and years. 
ways of thinking, worldviews, wounds that often produce in us unseen defences to the call of the gospel, the call to live as Jesus lived, the call to embrace that Philippians 2 humility that we read about earlier. Like it says, to take on the very nature of a servant. And so often unseen, we're impacted by materialism, by radical individualism, that putting self-determination, the assertion of navigating our own path above all else. Many of us operate out of the world's view of success or progress or even what we consider to be the good life. And added to this, many of us find ourselves trapped in the hurt and trauma of our past. And so as we read the radical message of 1 Peter, on one level we struggle to argue against it because we know it speaks of of who Jesus is. We know it speaks of the way he lived and what he did for us. But internally we struggle to get there in, in part because of the things that we have been soaked in. And the reality is that when Peter wrote his letter to this set of scattered churches 2,000 years ago, he wasn't doing so having come up with a set of thoughts that might seem a good strategy in the situation. He was sharing with the church that which he had been soaked in over decades of following Jesus. The Jesus that he had first chosen to follow with his initial immaturity and sometimes petulance. The Jesus whose very mission at times he misunderstood the Jesus whose teaching on humility and servanthood he had sometimes resisted, the Jesus who in his hour of greatest need he had deserted and denied, but the same Jesus who with mercy and grace and kindness restored him and called him to live the life that he was living. Summed up in these words spoken by Jesus to Peter, at John 21. Very truly I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and you went where you wanted to go. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. You see, as Peter wrote this letter to his fellow followers of Jesus, he wasn't just speaking to them of the path that they were to follow. He was speaking of the very path that he had chosen to follow and he knew where it was heading. I wonder for you and I, if we were to write down the words, when I was young and when I am old, how might we fill in the blanks? How much of it would be influenced by the world's view, by our surrounding culture's view of success or of the good life? How much of it would be influenced by the vision of life described by Peter? You may even this week want to spend a few moments, spend some time reflecting on those words for yourself. Maybe write down in a journal, when I was young and when I am old, what might God be saying? Or you may want to follow the invitation that Sam Miller gave in the video conversation that I referred to with Dave. Maybe over a 30-day period each day, maybe it's coming 30 days, to read the book of 1 Peter each day or a portion of it 
and just allow it to start to soak in. Because the reality is, is that the radical call to humility in 1 Peter is one of a lifetime of discipleship, of apprenticeship to Jesus, like that of Peter himself. It's not a single response to a sermon or even a sermon series. And as I think of this, as we come to close, I'm reminded of John Bodley's talk earlier in the series when he spoke of Maria Stewart, the trailblazing African-American woman who in the 1800s was an incredible advocate for the abolition of slavery and for women's rights. And she was a woman who suffered significantly throughout her life, but towards the end of her life, she expressed the outworking of this apprenticeship to Jesus like this. I believe that a rich reward awaits me, if not in this world, in the world to come. O blessed reflection, the bitterness of my soul has departed from those who endeavoured to discourage and hinder me in my Christian progress. And I can now forgive my enemies, bless those who have hated me, and cheerfully pray for those who have despitefully used and persecuted me. And today I think there is an invitation for each of us to come before God, not as we wish we were, but as we are. To place ourselves before him, to bring our resistance to him, to submit to him, and to ask him to transform our hearts and minds that we might live the life of humility to which he has called us. So if you're able, would you you like to stand? We're going to have a enter into a time of prayer now.